Back yeah. to the Future is a is a is a movie that we everyone everyone loves, and when you're look when you're making a, a, a time travel movie like this, uh, and you have like space for for some levity, why not bring it up? Uh, and I mean, uh, Eric Stahl, an actor that I love so much, and that some people might think that it was, you know. It was sort of, sort of an injustice that he that you know what happened in Back to the Future back in the day. So this is uh, my way of, of 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 saying that somewhere in the world, somewhere in this multiverse, there is a version of this movie where Eric Stoltz uh, plays Marty McFly. By the way, Michael J. Fox, I love you, and you're the best. But <laughs> I want I, yeah, I want to see that movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically or maybe the critics didn't like. Brad, we're going to talk about all the movies that bombed in 2023 this month, right? Well, we can't get them get through all of them because we would be here forever. Oh, I, uh, I thought they were just a couple. We're going to talk about... <laughs> no, no. I don't know if you heard, but 2023 was a rough year for uh, the all the cinematic universes. Uh, so Troy today, yeah, we are talking about 2023's superhero film from DC, the flash. Yes. And we have a you special, say this one was gone in a flash Troy from the theaters. Oh, the puns have started. Nice. Yep. Well, speaking of, um, the king of all puns, we have a guest with us. Uh, he's been on the show quite a few times, Brad, you want to do the formal introduction? Yes, he is our good friend, Sammy from the GGTMC. Sammy, how are you, sir? Thank you for joining us. It's like no your problem. second home. Yes, it is. And to keep it puntacular, I shall be the punisher tonight. No. Oh. Wow. <laughs> well, I, I will I will go ahead and apologize. My voice is a little wonky. Uh oh, you ended up getting sick. I knew I it. did I not get sick. I did not get sick. I'm not Brad. I went to see Samantha Fish, Jesse Dayton. Uh, John Spencer, Eric Johansson. My voice is gone from yelling uh, and singing all night. So yeah, we. Uh, I, di- I didn't think about that beforehand. Like screaming at the top of my lungs might actually prohibit you know me doing a podcast, but I'm pushing through. I feel like you've talked about this at least five other times doing this podcast. So I know I feel because like, I feel like you're I, not really learning. I'm not. Well. I go to all these concerts and uh, yeah, but you know what? I'm gonna power through. And before we get into Dad Rock will never die. Dad Rock's never going to die. So, hey, look, one of the things we're doing all month is we're talking about movies that bombed this year specifically. And uh, I I figure each week we'll have a little bit of a different theme, just kind of talk about some stuff that we saw in 2023. Um, One of the first things I wanted to talk about was an article that came out at the end of November from IndieWire. And I thought this was kind of fascinating. So I want to get your guys' opinion on this. So the title of the article was only one 2023 movie with a budget over 200 million has made a profit so far this year. 
That's the, that's the title of the article, and it was dated November 27, 2023. So, Can I guess that film? Um, yeah, which one do you think it is? Is it Guardians 3? Yes, sir. That's right. Okay. So this is fascinating. I'm uh, just predictably, Brad was all over that. I think I told you guys it was going to make over not 850. I believe I said that. You so. were spot on with that. You were good. But I, I, I thought this was the interesting. The rest of my predictions of the year were completely We're not wrong. good. We're not good. So here's here's the first paragraph. I just want to talk, you know, kick the conversation off with this. It says, with the animated tale Wish from Disney and Amazon's historical epic Napoleon from Sony, both opening last week on November 22nd, we now have 13 releases in 2023 that cost 200 million or more. When Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom arrives next month, that number will hit 14. And it isn't just the budgets they have in common. Nearly every one of these films will struggle to turn a profit. Of all 14 titles, seven, so that's half of them, are from Disney. Nine are sequels or remakes, and five are MCU or DC comics. The notion that a film has to be expensive to compete in the marketplace is hardly new, but 2023, aided by inflation and COVID delays, has taken this to new extremes. Of this current listing, just one has turned a profit so far this year, and Brad, you picked it, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, what the article does do is it, it goes through each one of these, and what I, what I was kind of fascinated with is that's the only one that made a profit theatrically. You had a handful that came close and broke even. And some examples that they talk about um, films hitting the break-even point where the studio could say they didn't necessarily lose any money from its theatrical distribution. Um, once you take out like, you know, uh, theater fees, et cetera, is you got stuff like elemental fast X transformers, rise of the beasts, but a number of them and a majority of them. Dead reckoning was pretty close too, right? Dead reckoning was close. Like okay. a lot of these broke even, but a lot of them, when you take into consideration, how much they were spending in terms of advertisements, et cetera, for pushing it. Uh, most won't turn a profit once they leave the theater. Probably one of the biggest ones in the comic book spectrum will be uh, the Marvels. Mm -hmm. um, but I, yeah, I mean, yeah. be the Marvels now, right? Yeah, it'd be Marvels now. So, I, what, what are your guys' take on that? I mean, it, it seems really interesting that I mean, we we've lived so many years with budgets just escalating, getting bigger and bigger. We have so many movies that, um, given the right franchise and the right names attached to it, it, it wouldn't have a problem crossing a billion dollars. Um, but, I mean, what do you think about the news from this year of all these big budget movies and especially sequels and franchises? They really struggled this year. I mean, that, that's a major theme for, for 2023, right? Theatrically? Yeah. It's, it's strange because I, I saw... Uh, Godzilla minus one this weekend and then saw that its budget was $15 million. And that film feels gigantic, uh, almost Godzilla in a way, uh, how big it feels. Um, but you know, you and I, Troy had talked and I think the main one was Indiana Jones, the dial of destiny, where, if you add in all the COVID costs and COVID precautions to the, the, the production budget, it was rumored to be close to $350 million. And yet like that budget is just way too big. Like not like these, these films, it's one thing to make 
sequels that perhaps we don't need. Do we need a 10th Fast and the Furious film? I would argue no, but you know, the previous nine have done particularly well. I know seven and eight, six, seven and eight were huge. We saw a little bit of a drop off on nine and then 10 was a huge drop off. But, you know, I just, I don't know when you come to these guys in suits and say, I want to spend $300 million on a fast and furious film. Who is signing off on that? Especially now when even five years ago, I I thought monoculture was a little bit different. Um, We had a little glimpse glimpse of it, but now I feel like monoculture is completely gone. Like you make a pop culture joke now and it's, you're lucky if 5% of people know what you're talking about. Like if you make a stranger things joke, it's hit or miss if people even know that. So I, I just, I just don't know what we're doing with these budgets. It's just unbelievable to me that we are, are, are crossing 300 and getting to 350 and thinking that's a good idea because you're, you're going to have to spend another 300 on marketing. So you're looking at, Hey, we need to make $650 million for this to be profitable. 20 years ago, $650 million movie was one of the biggest movies of all time. Now it's like, we have to make that to break even. Um, I think these studios have just been spoiled by the billion dollar films. Those aren't, I don't know if we're going to be seeing those as common as we were back in say early aughts, early aughts, or I would say just back in the last five years. Right. Okay. What's your take on it, Sammy? Well, you know, I've, I think about this uh, topic all the time being a movie lover, you know, um, box office is not important to me because I just love movies, but I understand that there's gotta be box office or else a lot of movies don't get made. And so that's the way I always look at it. You know, we need hits and we need franchises in order to right, you know, keep, keep the ship going. So that's important. No doubt about that. But, you know, I think about this, you know, the biggest film of the year is Barbie. Uh, Worldwide, I think it's 1.4, 1.5 billion, which is crazy. What do you guys think number two is? For the Super Mario Brothers? Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, we, I'm going to look at this a little differently. It feels like, in some ways, there's a shift going on. But if you think about it, the top five films worldwide this past year, all but one of them, was a brand. So I don't know how much it's going to change. I think the expense of making these films has caught up with them on the return. And I guess my concern there is, do people really want to go to the movies anymore? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, worldwide, you know, fast X made $714 million. So it made its money back a little bit close, I guess, maybe. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at these films and I'm in the States and I'm thinking that movie made $300 million. It's a bomb. <laughs> so yeah. something's wrong. Something's wrong in the, in the, uh, in the recipe, something in the recipe is rotten. Does that make sense? It, it does. I, I, I like how you said that because I think part of the recipe for so many years has been 
your term of brand. Like, let's take a brand and on a mm-hmm. global market, what can we do with that brand? So Disney yeah. very much chased that down between Pixar, Marvel Studios, Lucas Studios. Uh, take the Indiana Jones thing. I mean, they spent a lot of money on that thinking that they had a global brand with Indiana Jones. So they wouldn't need to rely just on American audiences and the nostalgia factor. But if, if you're going to spend that kind of money, you have to bring in China. You just have to. Yeah. Uh, and that didn't happen a lot of times this year. So China is a big population that buys tickets. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have a brand for them that resonates with them. Um. And it and it's unusual, like you like you said. I, 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 I think we're still left with franchises, we're still left with sequels. That's never going to go away. Never going to go away. Yeah, no. it's, it's never. But I, I am. I mean, this sounds terrible. I'm a little excited about the fact that studios are going to be a bit more cautious about sort of throwing money out there. And I, I like the fact some things are getting canceled. I like right. some. I like the fact that studios are taking maybe a step back and just saying, okay. Let's do some quality control here. What do we really have? Um, what are we really making? And uh, is is it going to be entertaining? Is it going to be good? And you can't just make a film, say it, it has the same sort of cookie cutter story to it. I think audiences are getting a little smarter. If you want a cookie, cutty, cookie cutting story, you've got your streaming movies, right? For the most part. Um, but I, I think some studios have kind of shot themselves in the in the foot from a theater going theater going um, perspective. So Disney's a great example. You can't just put something. What I've heard and I haven't seen it is I hear Wish is very average, um, very much middle down the road. So if you're a parent and you've got a couple of kids and you're going to spend seventy five dollars to take them to the movies, snacks yeah. and all that other stuff. And you know the quality is going to be something that maybe was being produced in the '90s, straight to video, something of that nature. And you know it's going to be on streaming in like 60 days because you have Disney Plus. Why would you go to the movies for that one? Yeah, right. Yeah. So it it almost it almost seems like their business model is sort of eating up their theatrical returns, and they got to figure that out a little bit. Well, they also did that to themselves. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that at you know this this moving whole everything to moving everything to streaming was a big mistake for Disney, I believe. Yeah, I, you devalue your brand. Well, and and I, I still Spe- think there's a Pixar. Yeah, there's there's a strong movie going market for films that stay out in the theater a little bit longer. Oppenheimer's a, a great example, right? It had legs. It stayed out there for a long time. Well, the interesting thing about Oppenheimer too is it's completely adult material. Like it's it's interesting. Yeah, that's a good that point. Movie, yeah, that movie got adults into the theater, which is something that you know Hollywood, for the most part, when it comes to big box office movies, they struggle with getting people to go to the movies. I mean, a lot of the other films that are themed towards adults this year, the big ones, Killers of the Flower Moon, and was there another one just came out recently? Napoleon. Napoleon. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the reviews were good for Killers of the Flower Moon. They weren't so great for Napoleon, but Again, I think they kind of hoped that the adults that went to see Oppenheimer were like, hey, let's go check out some more grown-up fare. Yeah. And they just didn't really go to see certain things. And, you know, it gets into some interesting conversations, too, about 
sequels. You know, you think about horror franchises and why do they work? Well, that's because they cut cost most of the time going into sequels. That's true. You, I mean, it's rare you get a budget that is going to usurp the previous one. I mean, you're lucky yeah. if it maintains, right? You'll get yeah. a reboot. You'll get a reboot that'll do that. Yeah, but I mean, there, there, there's that mathematical model that they use. You know, look at the Friday 13th films. Um, for a while, there was just a law of diminishing returns for each sequel we put out, but it it hits that sort of change curve, and you go, okay, if we spend this, we're going to get this. Saw movies are, are another example, but I agree with you 100. You're not you're yeah. generally not going to get the same budget you got for the first one, and if you know your sequel money is going to drop off to a certain percentage, then just mark your budget down a little bit. Yeah, these these studios definitely didn't follow that accounting advice. I mean, yeah, and what we do know. And this is just the hard truth of it all is nobody stays on top forever. Uh, Marvel has owned the box office. Disney has owned the box office for 20 years. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. 15, maybe, maybe years. longer if you think about it, but at least off and on, definitely for the last 15 or 20 years, definitely they've owned it. And they just seem like they were unstoppable. Star Wars, buying Fox, Marvel. I mean, it's just, they, they're unstoppable. And then of course their own brands. But and again, nobody stays on top forever. It's inevitable that sooner or later, somebody's going to topple the king and, um, uh, bad decisions being beholden to your lore. We could go down this. I mean, we could talk for three hours about what might be the problem. I mean, for me personally, as a fan is being beholden to the lore is, is really coming back to bite these films in the rear end. Yeah. Not taking any chance, no risk. No risk in yeah. the filmmaking at all. Well, I, I'll say this: I think I think the biggest issue is inflation. I mean, let's be honest. Well, it's, yeah, I, you. This was sort of like I don't I don't think anybody saw this coming. Is you know have uh, coming out of COVID, movie theaters are back, actor strike hits, all this other stuff, so they couldn't promote films. And I mean, it was a tough year for for major studios with these big big box office. Um, events that they really couldn't support especially towards the latter half of the year right yeah but on top of that the cost of everything i mean if you're talking groceries are going to the films and you're really struggling you're not going to the movies right so yeah but i wonder i don't know enough to know but i wonder if the returns on other items that people spend you know disposable income on or down like video games or because that's always a market that booms. And then well, I think, I think you can, I think there's anecdotal evidence that I've, I've just seen studios or, you know, firing hundreds of people from, from after their projects are done and before yeah, projects are yeah. done and all this stuff. And everyone kind of, I think hired up when COVID was happening because people had all this time and they're like, Oh, we're going to add a bunch of people to keep making more. And when people had to go back to work and time was more, pressish uh it turned into a thing where it was like oh now we hired too many people but i think yeah i think everything is down um but free entertainment is up right tiktok uh youtube like yeah. all these things oh are yeah free. the uh the content creator uh, yeah. stuff right yeah we we've talked about this before right i mean yeah. we've talked about it via text uh, you, you all, the four of us jose included um it's really really getting hard to compete with the 10 family the 10 person family that lives in salt lake city utah and all the content they're making kids want to watch that i know uh, it sounds ridiculous i know you're laughing troy but I, and i think the no same thing. you're you're right because i i watched my entire family just glued to their phones 
yeah. watching something on YouTube, TikTok, whatever it is, and they, they could do that for hours. I knew we were in trouble, and I'm, and I'm not knocking it because I watch them too sometimes, but I knew we were going to be in trouble as a culture when people started watching videos of people opening things. <laughs> oh, I knew yes. there was a problem on uh, the unboxing we, videos. Yeah. I knew we were reaching a new, I'm not going to say low because I don't, I mean, I've watched them myself, but I knew we have reached a new point of entertainment at that point. I thought to myself, well, I don't even have to buy anything anymore. I can just watch somebody else buy things uh, and yeah. get some of the euphoria that they get. And it's not the same. I agree, but it's something. And now I can watch limitless amounts of those. How about 1 million different? How about somebody unboxes their still book of the flesh to keep it relevant to our show this week? And there's a million different videos of people opening that still book. Well, I don't ever have to watch a movie again. Well, I'll tell you what, I, those million views are coming from guys who are in the toilet. Um, and <laughs> well, that's something Hollywood needs to look at. They need to look at toilet viewing, toilet viewing. It's a real thing among men. Uh, well, wife, also you can, yeah. you can curate that stuff to just be stuff that you like too. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A film, you're taking a chance whether or not you're going to like it or not. You you think, exactly. oh, I like this director. I like this. I like that. Having a content creator that you love and trust and like them the way they open up that box. That sounded weird. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, you know what you're getting and there's less risk there with your time. Yeah. It is a concern. It is a concern for me that narrative entertainment i don't think it's ever going to go away i mean the book is still around so i don't right. think it'll ever go away but the narrative entertainment of the last 100 years has really been films and i i am concerned i i've but often said that video that, games yeah video games will take over narrative at some point but the the one of the biggest films this year was a three-hour biopic on oppenheimer yeah like, yeah yeah it so, is it is it is the true outlier it is yeah. the algorithm breaker uh, and when you look through the top 15 films, it's, there's some Chinese films in there and some uh, other stuff, but Oppenheimer stands out like a pubic hair in your cereal. Well, <laughs> that's a great, uh, yeah. Okay. That's a great transition <laughs> to talking about the flash from 2023. I think, oh, um, sure. yeah, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Brad, let's, let's go back to the summer. Um, not too far ago. Uh, this thing was just in the theaters. It feels like, yeah. How, like, yeah. How did it do, uh, man? Six months ago. So June, uh, the flash released June 16th of 2023 with a reported budget of two of $220 million. Gentlemen, the total box office run domestically, it makes $108 million and domestically it makes. Oh, I'm sorry. And internationally it makes $162.5 million for a grand total of $270.6 million. Womp womp. Can, That's can, terrible. We can infer that this studio, they haven't said, but you know, you're probably looking at about 375 to 400 total because the marketing of this had to spin up like three times because they moved the release date so many times because of COVID and this and that, and there was trouble with the star. We'll get into that, but Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had to market this thing a bunch of times. Um, and I will always like, if I see 
trailers and stuff on sporting events, you know, they're spending a lot of money to get it into the masses. Uh, just for reference, the NFL has played the new Aquaman trailer no less than 175 times on Sunday. Like I saw it every single. Yeah. Were you commercial. were you counting every time it came on? Yeah, yeah I had the little thing. clicker. Okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so opening weekend, The Flash is coming in at number one um, with $55 million. Yeah. That multiplier is only two. So not a great. Not a great multiplier there because that just shows it really doesn't have a whole lot of legs. Which is weird uh, for me about a character that runs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, surprisingly, uh, the flash sits at a 63% with the audience or with the critics and an 83% with the audience. I was surprised with the 63%. I, in I my mind, the, I thought this was more panned than that, but I, I was. I, I tell you what, I'm surprised by. I'm surprised at the 189,000 votes on IMDb and this thing sitting at 6.7. Well, oh. it it did. I mean, it tested well. So, well, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, amongst certain people, there was this immediate reaction of anger. But uh, oddly, in some weird way, this movie kind of did have legs. It did. I, it's not. I think we'll we'll probably talk about it when we get to our thoughts on it. But I think this one, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about with these big budget films is we, we used Waterworld's a great example. Even before Waterworld came out, oh. Waterworld had a narrative like, oh my gosh, it's the most expensive movie ever. It's gonna be totally terrible. The the sets sank everything else. Actually, yeah, you can't talk about this movie without talking about the narrative around it. Yeah, and I, I feel that's the same way with a with a lot of these narratives. And every film of these budgets, it's so weird. If it came from Disney or Marvel, uh, there was a narrative about, oh, they're they're just replacing male characters with female characters, or they're just, you know, it's it's the same story, it's just a gender swap. Um, you talk about flash, you, you hear all of the stuff that happened behind the scenes with the star and it's going to be a bit, so all, all, all of these movies came with this baggage and this narrative that, uh, a certain population kind of latched onto a very minor population. Let's make sure that's clear too. And it may have driven off the general like opening weekend public. But as soon as this thing gets to a wider mass, then people are like, oh, it's not so bad. I, I feel like that's the general, I don't know, take on a lot of these big budget films that came out with the narrative. You mean people overreact to things, Troy? Is that what you're trying Believe to Believe it or not, I wow. think, um, you know, the social media has got a little crazy sometimes. Hyper huh. Hyperbolic, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's, good. it's yeah. good word. It's good word, yeah. I, uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think they ran away with their thoughts. I do. I, I, it just, it's weird because I, I don't know about you guys. Waterworld felt like such a unique thing when it came out. Cause I live that. Right. Yeah. But I feel like there were 14 Waterworlds this year. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. But then I often think about the other side of the equation, which is I can remember the narrative on Titanic. And I remember everybody said, this thing is going to bomb so hard. And James Cameron has lost his mind. But that's become James Cameron's narrative now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They said the same thing about Avatar. They said the same thing about Avatar too. Yeah. 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 That's so that's become his his total his total existence now is what's Cameron doing? Is he gambling again? And people I think honestly, 
go to his movies because they're like, well, he spends the most money. I want to see what he did. And I, you know, I don't get me wrong. I, th- I know there's people out there that love the avatar stuff. And I know, uh, I loved, I mean, I thought Titanic was great. I thought it was a great film. Um, but it, it's interesting to me that this year, the, well, first of all, we live in an era to that people react. There's very, everything's very black and white right now. And it's, it's, it's really bizarre to me. Oh yeah. The way people react. Um, but I, I I don't I don't understand I don't understand I think I sent that article to you guys or one of us sent it to article to us guys was you know why Killers of the Flower Moon bombed why the diff why the different narrative you know right why why and Killers of the Flower Moon just won a, a critics award just recently right but it's a bomb it's a big bomb by it, the way it is yeah but nobody's talking about it being a bomb they're well, just no, talking about nobody it. wants to talk about Scorsese making a bomb right but you would think though. Yeah, that the comic book fans would be like all over it. They'd be like, eh, hey, hey, Marty, but it's more like an advertisement for <laughs> Apple originals and Apple plus like yeah. that. It's a weird. Uh, yeah. So Troy, sorry, sorry go ahead. Get back on track. Yeah. Yeah. Big shout out to Al to listener Alex here because he did the Lord's work in more ways than one. Oh, nice. He went over to movieguide.org. Uh, did, he write, did he write the review himself? He rewrote the review. Uh, for people who like punctuation, oh, and, uh, so I don't. Sound I'm excited like an about this. Moron, yes. Christians, I'm, Christians don't like punctuation. No, and Alex made a very good, very funny joke that I I can't find right now. But uh, when we were going back and forth, he uh, <laughs> hit me with a pretty funny joke that I was laughing pretty hard about. Um, okay, Troy. Yeah. For those who do not know, Movie Guide is a Christian website that reviews film not for their quality but for their content and they use a plus four to minus four scale gentlemen you know the deal where does our lovely bury the flash <laughs> is that as they bury the bury flash, the flash yeah <laughs> bury the on, flash allen yeah on their scale uh pagan science world time traveling views negative two negative yeah. two for troy I'm going to go negative two as well. Sounds it right. is a negative two. And again, yeah. shout out to Alex for helping me with this. I mean, of all the movies you guys have done on here, there's been a few that it's like, you know, that's a negative four. There's no doubt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this is the most, as far as their website goes, <laughs> might be the most negative two <laughs> film I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> and, and once again, uh, Alex put in some periods for me. So this is going to be hopefully a little bit easier to read. So I don't sound like an absolute moron. Okay, it's, uh, they break this one down into different categories. Category one is dominant worldview and other worldview content slash elements. And it goes like this. Strong, moral, pro-family worldview with some redemptive elements and a strong, positive view of America. <laughs> Bruce Wayne's noble obligation promotes loving your parents, protecting life from evil forces and natural disasters, courage, and doing the right thing, helping other people with your wealth, justice, and sacrifice, and rejects playing God with science. And there's a reference to fate. Amen, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Gotta love that reference to fate. Yep. Does All he, right. Does he really reject playing God with science? He doesn't really. He yeah. kind of goes with it. <laughs> All right. 20 obscenities, including 14 S words and one oh. F word. Oh, yeah. When a character is surprised during the end credit scene. 
and 11 light exclamatory profanities. Ripping dick. Uh, violence. Lots of strong and light action violence, such as hero saves people, including babies, from disasters. Superhero saves a nurse and a dog from falling to their deaths. Superheroes battle soldiers with guns. Bullets bounce off Bruce or er, Batman's uh, bulletproof suits. Mm. The Flash changes the tra- trajectory of some bullets. A hero is shot in the leg. A female superhero punches and flings soldiers trying to kill her. Bullets bounce off female superhero. Explosions. Superhero battle supervillains. Imagine that. Some stabbings, female superhero fights, supervillains, etc. Superhero fighting supervillains bad? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't you know, you, you guys can't hear this right now because we have a little, but I ran out of church organ music. I must have oh. played it too soon. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sex. Implied sex when one morning a female college student gets up out of bed. Oh, she yeah. shared with a male college student. Heaven forbid people in college are having relationships. Oh, my goodness. Nudity. <clears throat> nudity brief nope. upper male nudity when character tries to recreate the situation where the title character gained his superpowers rear and upper <laughs> male nudity when a man loses his regular clothes because they burn off his body when he moves too fast and one man has woken up and his is still in his underwear but he's wearing a t-shirt alcohol use brief alcohol use smoking and or drug use and abuse no smoking or drugs and miscellaneous immorality. Batman is bored because his Gotham city has conquered crime. Wow. Too. Okay. Thank you out. Look, well, that was so much better, right? Like it was I felt better. way better yeah. reading that. It's still, better. it's still a painful review, but at least grammatically it's cleaned up. Oh, I looked at like the comparison. There was a lot of work that went into that. So that, that is the, yes. Thank you, brother Alex. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to flash back to uh, nice, June nice. of 2023 and talk about the other films you could have seen uh, released. And there's some ones that I completely forgot about. And Let's, uh, Brad, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you here. Give us the rundown. Oh, oh <laughs> damn it. That one's good. Uh, okay. We've got <laughs> the boogeyman. Remember the boogeyman? I do. People thought yeah. it was going to be a hit, including me. I yeah. thought it was going to be a hit. That was the Stephen. Uh, was that the Stephen King? Uh, okay. I think so. Yeah. Uh, a film that actually was a big hit. Spider-Man across the spider verse. Yep. Top five worldwide. Yes. Um, and then we have a film that we are probably going to talk about at some point. Transformers rise of the beasts. And then we have the flash like, Oh, and then the same weekend of the flash, we have elemental, the blackening, which I kind of liked. Um, and then we go to Troy, a film that we talked about with miss Michelle Meek, no hard feelings, asteroid city. I'm actually surprised at how many films were released. Uh, and the last big, well, last two big ones here, Indiana Jones, the dial of destiny in, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. The film that no one saw. Mm. Definitely a bomb, right? That that was yeah, an Amazon was. movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was a bomb. Okay. Uh, that's a DreamWorks film, I think. Was it DreamWorks? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 June was an interesting year. You can say that. A little bit of or something month, for everybody. You know, but or or yeah, month. Month, yeah. yeah, that would that would make more sense, wouldn't it? 
Um, yeah, I when can't. You run, I, when you run back to June, that's the way it feels, Jim. Yeah, I can't blame that comment on screaming. That was probably the alcohol. Um, <laughs> killed a brain cell. So <laughs> let's talk about the people. That, behind, that one that you have left. That, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> um, let's talk about the people who made the Flash. So behind the camera, director Andy Muschietti. Muschietti. Yeah. Muschietti. Argentinian, I think, right? Uh, yeah, Argentinian, yeah. Okay. Not uh, so some short films and then he lands Hey, I'm directing here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how people oh, from Argentina sound when they're directing. Um <laughs> it, they could, I don't know, haven't been there, but mm. Okay, so Mama 2013. 2017. Loved Mama. It terrible <laughs> film, terrible. <laughs> Yeah. Saw that with Troy Sauer in the theater. It was that was God that that scarred me. Uh, follows that up a couple years later with It Chapter Two, another terrible film. Too many clowns, and then uh, we get The Flash in 2023. So yeah. not not a huge filmography, but um, I mean three well, I of like, the four in the horror genre. It, it made a billion dollars worldwide, though, didn't it? Yeah, it it did really well. Yeah, yeah. and then the second one wasn't as successful, but it still made. I think combined, the the it chapter one and chapter two are sitting at like one point two billion dollars, on like, I think they spent like a hundred and fifty on them both. So you know, pretty wow. big success. So did does it surprise you? I, I mean, it was a big success, and as a two film franchise, it did very well for Warner Brothers. But did it surprise you to see this director attached to? a big $200 million comic book film for, for DC. I, I gotta be honest. It, it shocked me a little bit. Is announcing the director, just the new way of kind of marketing your movie, because when you have 2,500 special effects shots, it's all previs beforehand. So what is even the director doing in this film? You know, like in these films, like what are they really doing? I think sometimes it's just a way to put a guy's name who's kind of hot right now and to say he's directing it. And sure, they might have a few choices here and there, but yeah, I would say it's more know. more of a veto type situation. By the way, the uh, yeah, the It franchise total budget cost about one hundred and ten million dollars for both films. Yeah, one hundred ten million, and the return was insane. So, well, Mama only so, cost like Mama was a cheaper film too, and it made like yeah. over a hundred million. I know that. I would say, so, I would say that there's probably you know it's really that Hollywood thing of you know, hey, you really did us a big favor, Andy Muschietti. Why don't you? Uh, well, what do you want to do next? And I don't know if they hired him or if he just wanted to do the Flash. Um, I know he must be a comic book guy because he's working on the Brave and the Bold too. Yeah. So I I don't know I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I think really. Brad, it's almost like I'm, I think at that point, the director, it's like if you ever see that behind the scenes documentary of George Lucas directing Phantom Menace, I mean, there's a lot of yes and no. Right. And then he's working with the actors, but then he just goes back and looks at storyboards and says, yes, yes, no. Or oh, the no, designs, yes, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like they're, yeah, I, th I feel like the modern director who has to work with a lot of special effects, I feel like that is a big part of the job now. Okay. Well, the, the screenplay is kind of interesting, too. So <laughs> here, here's, a, here's another scenario. We have a lot of people kind of putting um, their contribution to the story or the screenplay. 
Not exactly a great sign for a film. But the person who gets the screenplay credit is Christina Hodson. Now, she had done stuff like Shut In in 2016, Unforgettable in 2017, Bumblebee in 2018. I like that Bumblebee movie quite a bit. Yes, very good. He did, uh, or she does, Birds of Prey in 2020, which I believe that was a box office bomb as well. And then The Flash in 2023. So she's been writing a couple of screenplays for the DC Universe. Now I like that Birds of Prey as well. I, I, I did too. Um, I think that's a solid film. Now here's the thing. You get three story by credits. You get a story by John Francis Daly, story by Jonathan Goldstein, and story by Joby Harold. Uh, and like, wait, hold on. The one, the guy daily, like the guy from freaks and geeks. Is that the same guy? I, I don't know. This, this is interesting. I was doing a little research. It is. Yeah. Okay. At, at some point there was a rumor that there was a high profile comic book same film. Guy. Yeah. Same guy that directed or helped direct uh, the Dungeons and Dragons film. Yep. Ooh, okay. It, so there's this rumor floating around that there was a script and it came under contention over like who was getting credit for what, because at one point there could have been 45 different names associated with the screenplay. And when people put two and two together, they're like, that sounds like the flash. So when the dust settles, here are the names that get attached to it. And again, this film is based on characters from DC and, and just a refresher for folks. Like what, what is the difference between screenplay versus a story credit story is basically going to refer to the plot, the characters, the setting and the tone. It differs from the script or screenplay only in that the action and dialogue isn't written out yet. So a writer can get credited with the story for a movie, but not the screenplay if they wrote a treatment, but not the final script. So the final script is done by Christina, but you have these three people who are getting some type of credit for something that's contributed story-wise for the film itself, but didn't do yeah, the dialogue. Yeah, stories is mostly, is usually the ideas, the screenplay is usually the words. Correct. Uh, cinematography, Henry Brom. <laughs> so just recently, this is what he's doing. Suicide Squad in 2021, Cinderella in 2021, Guardians of the Galaxy in 2023, and The Flash in 2023. So a lot of high-profile, expensive films. We've got editors Jason Ballantyne and Paul Maklis. I only bring these up. Paul did get an Academy Award nomination for Best Achievement in Film Editing for Baby Driver in 2017. So those are some of the major contributors behind the camera. In front of the camera... It's odd to have two, I mean, it's not super odd, but it is weird to have two editors on a film. Uh, Usually, sometimes that's a bad sign as well. But the uh, to go back, I, I really missed, there was like a small window and I missed my opportunity for oh, Joe. sorry, go ahead. That the, the difference between us getting a screenwriting credit and a storyback credit, and I was going to say your agent. Oh, well, it sounds like that may have what happened behind the scenes because there was a lot of contention on whose name should be up there. We'll so talk about it through 45. There was a rumor that there was okay. 45 possible people that contributed something to this thing, which feel, doesn't, that doesn't shock me if that is true. Yeah. Not, not when you look at the final product, right? So let's talk about the people in front of the camera. I just want to get your feelings on this real quick. I'm going to start with Ezra Miller, Barry Allen, the flash. Okay. Go ahead. Just get, let's just get it out of the way. Go ahead, Brad. We're going to talk about Ezra Miller, the actor, not Ezra Miller, the person Ezra Miller, the person sounds like a monster, but we will just talk about his acting. Okay. 
Deal. In, I'm good with it. I'm the, good with it. Uh, I, you know, I thought Ezra Miller had a lot of charisma and definitely had something going. Um, we need to talk about Kevin, the perks of being a wallflower, um, train wreck. Like, I liked all of his performances in there, and I actually think his Barry Allen is really good. So, I like Ezra Miller as an actor, period. Hard stop there. Yep. Okay. I think Ezra Miller, I think he has what it takes to be a star. I really do. I think he's got charisma. He's not necessarily my kind of actor, but I'm a 50-year-old man at this point. But I think he has some charm, some bit of danger to him. Um, Maybe that's real life kind of bleeding over. Yeah, maybe. But there's something a little off about him, and I think that that works to his benefit. Uh, I think when he's on the screen, he draws attention. I think he has really good comedic timing. And uh, I think he he could be a big star. Will he be? Ugh, I don't know. He seems to he seems to not be that interested. But um, I, I look again. He's not my kind of actor. But I'm surprised at how much I've liked him as the Flash. Yeah. So I don't know. It, there, to me, I've seen Perks of Being a Wallflower. I haven't caught him in the Fantastic Feast uh, Feast Beast franchise. Um, when I do see him on screen, I I don't think positive or negatively of him. He doesn't necessarily do it for me, but at the same time, I don't think he's a bad actor. Does that make sense? He he's yeah. just he's okay, right? Uh, my, my problem with him was when he was introduced as the flash back in 2016 with Batman V Superman, AKA orphan fight. I, I think at that time I was sons of Martha, if you will, sons of Martha, right? I really was high on Grant Gustin as the version of the flash, uh, from the CW show. I really liked that version of it. So I couldn't help always doing that comparison. Um, do I like him as this character? We'll talk about that. I, I think I think that will have a that plays into whether or not you'll enjoy this film. In my opinion, how well you like Ezra Miller is going to determine whether or not you're going to like this film because you get a lot of Ezra Miller. I mean, a lot, double some may double say. Double Ezra yeah. Miller. Um, but he's okay. I I I don't like champion him. At the same time, I don't hate him. He's he's just always okay. He's never wowed me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Michael Keaton. I feel like we've talked about Michael Keaton before. Or if we hadn't, we should have. I mean, 180 episodes in, we should have talked about Michael Keaton, right? Have we? Uh, what movie would we have done? I don't know. Mike- so he's, he's you know... I, I, he's bound to come up at least once. I mean, I, we're talking about doing American Assassin, but I don't think we've... Okay, maybe... The, so... Michael Keaton, what do, you, what do you say about Michael Keaton that hasn't been said? I, other than the fact that he's gotten one Academy Award nomination, I feel like he should have got a few more um, at different parts, but it feels like he's had a very consistent career over the years, right? So for Marvel, he's a villain, plays the Vulture, uh, Adrian Toomes. For DC, people know him as uh, Batman, the iconic Batman from, you know, 89, Tim Burton. Do you guys have some favorite Michael Keaton films or things that you would reference and say, these are the ones I like? And I'm going to preface this with not 
the obvious ones like the Beetlejuice or the Batman 89. What are some other Michael Keaton favorite films you have? One of the ones I go to a lot is 2015 spotlight. Uh, hmm. When he plays Robbie and that I, I, I really like spotlight a lot, even though the subject matter is a little tough. I just think everyone in that is, is definitely hitting above their weight. And I think Keaton is really good in that. And I, I, I find that movie to be, one of the, like one of the better like investigative films that we've had in a, in a while. So I go to Spotlight. Spotlight. Okay. What about you, Sammy? Immediately, the first thing that comes to mind. And Troy, I'd be surprised if this isn't one of the first things that comes to your mind. But Billy Blaze from Night Shift, nineteen eighty two. Yes. And that's for me when Michael Keaton hit the scene, and I've been a fan ever since. I agree. Uh, I think that is one of the great comedic performances of all time. Uh, it is enormously funny. The movie's a bit problematic nowadays, but it is incredibly funny. He's, and, I think he's funny because he plays off of uh, Henry Winkler so well as a yeah, straight man. So yeah. well. Yeah. And he's like the complete madman. But this thing, I mean, that one, two, three punch of Night Shift, Mr. Mom, and Johnny Dangerously. They did Gun Ho the year after. Uh, you know, he just, he's, he was a huge part of my childhood watching him in these funny movies. And then Beetlejuice was huge. And then of course, Batman was huge. And, and he just, you know, they, people say he doesn't work a lot. He doesn't work as much as some, but he, he's worked steady. He does yeah, at least he's one always thing. been around. Yeah. Yeah. He does, he does one thing a year. He does pick odd projects now. Seems like he's only interested in working with certain directors and certain things and He's earned that. I, I figure he's earned that to be selective. Yeah. But he also, you know, he's not afraid to cash a check. You know, he popped up in Need for Speed and <laughs> true, true. Some other stuff. You know, he, he's not afraid to do that, and I appreciate that. He's a good working actor, and and uh, I, I like him every time he pops up. Man, his his performance as the Vulture character in Homecoming is is great. He's a great bad guy. Yeah, he, he is. is. He's good. He's really, really good. I, I gotta know. I gotta know. Where do you guys fall on Birdman? I love it. Okay, I, I love I, I love Birdman. I like the film a lot. I don't love the film, but I absolutely love him in it. I really love Edward Norton in it, but but I really I love him in it. Uh, I, I guess that was the it, that was the closest he got. Right, was his nomination for best actor. Yeah, he that's the one he got it. Uh, the nomination for right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know when I, when I think of Michael Keaton. So it's funny you talk about the 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 sort of early stages of his career with these comedies. Johnny Dangerously is still one that I watch on the regular. I think he's fantastic. Um, but I I also counterbalance that with a film that he made in 88 called Clean and Sober, which is extremely dramatic Michael Keaton. And I love the fact that he can kind of go back and forth between the both and, and just do it so well. Uh, very few people can bring the comedy and sort of the gravitas um, and, and just kind of switch it on and off. Uh, and then other films, you you talked about Spotlight. I, one I just watched recently that I forgot he was in was a, a film in the 90s, sort of a comedy drama, The Paper from 94. Oh, Robert yeah. Duvall's in it. That's really fun. And then, again, if you want to go back to his comedy chops, I don't think people talk about multiplicity enough from 96. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's problematic in some spots, but I still think him and his performance and all those different versions of him are just absolutely hysterical. In my I, I also have a theory. Yeah. 
he worked with Tarantino in uh, Jackie Brown, which he's amazing in. He is amazing in that film. I have the feeling that he is going to be play a big role in, in Tarantino's last film. I don't know why, but I just think he is. I, I think would, it's got he's going to be the one that like gets Travolta and like comes gets like a big role and like people are like oh Michael Keaton. I can see that. I, I just have a feeling. I've heard rumors, uh, or I've read in trades and stuff that Tarantino's looking to get a lot of the people he's worked with. Those like kind of like a like a, a good buy. Yeah, yeah, send off. Okay. Well, this one's for Jose too. If you like Michael Keaton, watch the Protege from twenty twenty one. Um yep. he's not bad in that as well. It's a it's a really decent little action flick. I wouldn't mind talking about that sometime. Uh okay. Just want to rattle off a few more names. So Sasha Call, is it Call or Kali? Kali. Okay. Plays Cora Zorel, Cara Zorel, Supergirl. Uh, up to this, she she was in soap operas, right? Young and the Restless from 2018 to 2021. That was her big thing. And then we also get Michael Shannon returning as General Zod. We get Ron Livingston as Henry Allen, Barry's father, which was a change from the original person who played him. Uh, Maribel Verdu as Nora Allen, Barry's mother. And then from the DC Cinematic Universe, you get some cameos from Jeremy Irons as Alfred. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. Ben Affleck as Batman. There's another Batman that shows up. We'll talk about that when we talk about the film. And uh, Jason Momoa as Fishman shows up as well. So uh, I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm really curious. Um, I think I know where Sammy's going to lie on this one. I don't know where you're going to fall, Brad. But I'm. I think I'm ready to talk about the Flash. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Okay, let's, we'll, run, let's run into this. Let's run right into this head first. So we're gonna take a quick break though, because um, I need a drink and uh, not that kind of drink. Um, but we'll be right back. So stay tuned. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Now at Penny's, authentic Batman toys and games, new and exciting. Wow! Batman and Robin color portrait, one dollar. Batman periscope, seventy-seven cents. Batman doll, only nine ninety-eight. Batman horn, seventy-seven cents. Batman card game, exciting fun for a dollar nineteen. Batman game by Milton Bradley, only two sixty-six. Batman and Robin Button, 33 cents. Authentic cape and mask, 99 cents a set. Batman belt, only a dollar and a wrist radio for only $3.99. Now at seven big penny stores, North Park, Big Town, Richardson, Casabue, and Lancaster Keast in Dallas, Seminary South in Richland Hills and Fort Worth. Be the first to have one of these new toys or games and receive free trading cards and Batman rings. Hurry to Penny.
and we're back. Um, before we get into this, I wanted to save it for for this because I, I think I think Flash had a little bit of a water world uh, dilemma. Would you guys say in terms of production and development and, oh, and some of the narrative? Is that fair? Mostly centered around its leading actor. Yes. Okay. Well, so a couple things. Usually we do production and development. We t- we're done talking about the cast. I, I kind of want to save this to the review because. One of the first questions we're going to ask is how much of this stuff influenced you guys um, going into this film? But here's some of the backstory about The Flash. So it, it, it very much has this water world vibe to it. So the film is influenced by a comic storyline called Flashpoint that I think came into the DC universe about 2011. So Flashpoint has to do with altered realities. Barry Allen is awake in this new universe um, appears that everything is different from the timeline that he knows versus the timeline he's living in stuff where um, Superman's being held captive as a lab rat in the United States government lab. Uh, Wonder woman and Aquaman have this big fight pretty much destroy Western Europe. So uh, it, it was a big comic book event in series. It was very successful. And the development of a Flash standalone film, however, begins in the late 1980s, and they had a bunch of writers and directors attached to this project all the way going into 2014. So some names that would pop up before 2014 is David S. Goyer, Sean Levy, George Miller, yeah, that George Miller, and David Dopkin. So the film was then redeveloped as part of the DCEU with Ezra Miller cast as a title character. And at this point, they get a bunch of different directors that are getting attached to the film over the years um, with stuff like Seth Graham Smith, Rick Famuyiwa, I think is how you say his last name, and the duo Daly and Goldstein. And pretty much everybody ends up leaving the, the production over creative differences. Muschietti and Hudson joined the film in July 2019 and pre-production begins in January 2020. And what happens? We, we get this little thing called COVID, for right? Two, for two months. Yep. Yeah. So filming wraps in October of 2021, but we're not going to, we're not going to talk. We got to talk about this from a historical context versus the person, right? So, Ezra Miller gets into a bunch of problems throughout 2022. And what happens is Warner Brothers considers a bunch of different options as a result of all of his of Ezra's legal problems. And so um, in August, Warner Brothers was considering three options, providing Ezra Miller an interview, explaining their behavior, and do limited press for the film should they choose to accept professional help being released as planned, because remember, he was he was getting locked up. Exclude Miller from all press of the film and recast their character in future projects should they choose to reject professional help. Or cancel the film as a last resort if the situation further deteriorated. And that third option is kind of what they did with uh, Batgirl, which had a $90 million budget and was completed. And that was a big shock to everybody. So a lot of people didn't think that third option was on the table, but in fact... It was because Warner Brothers um, has done this a few times now where they've just pretty much canceled a film um, and take it as a tax write-off if they don't think they can promote it adequately. So what ends up happening? Warner Brothers adjusted release date due to the impact of COVID and um, 
the workload on the visual effects vendors. They listed that as well because the flash ends up um, getting moved to June 23rd of 2023 in essence to provide more time for visual effects to be completed and also for Ezra Miller stuff to calm down. Um, and I think we already talked about this. The flash had like 2,500 visual effect shots, which is pretty heavy for a film. Mm-hmm. The, the, the film premieres in Los Angeles in June 12th, 2023. And it's released in the United States on June 16th, following multiple delays, the post-production setbacks and the controversy surrounding Miller. And all of this is public. This shuffling, the drama behind the scenes, it's all out there. Very similar to um, a, a film we talked about, Kevin Costner's Waterworld. So I, I, my first question, I'll start with you, Sammy. Did any of that, before we get to your thoughts on the film, before you saw The Flash, did any of this information or the trouble that they were having behind the scenes, did you go into this film thinking it was going to just have problems as a result of what you were hearing? Uh, no, I thought the bigger issue might be some possible reshoots and stuff. I knew that I knew they were going to have trouble with this thing being a box office hit because the Ezra Miller stuff really got out of control and really took a weird turn. And again, we're not going to talk about that. That's a whole other conversation, Uh but that stuff, I was actually stunned that this movie made as much money as it did on opening weekend. Uh, it tracked higher. Well, it didn't track higher, but I mean, it wasn't a huge opening. But I got to be honest with you, there was barely anybody in the theater when I went. And I went in the evening on like a Friday or a Saturday. And man, when I came back that it made $55 million, I was like, where did people go to see this movie at? <laughs> um, so you saw it opening weekend then? Yeah, most, yeah. And most people I know who are into these kind of films didn't even want to see it. Now, obviously, I have a 13-year-old boy, and he has friends, and they want to see it. They want to see all superhero films, as we do. I am also a huge DC fan, as we've said on the show before. So, The Flash is a personal favorite character. I do love The Flash. Great comic. For the years, pound for pound, has been one of DC's best. Probably one of its most underread, because Batman is such a huge juggernaut. But The Flash has been amazing for decades. Uh, people who don't read The Flash are really missing out. Well, it, uh, one of his main villains is a monkey, so that makes him just yeah, top tier. Yeah, Grodd, yeah. Yep. And that's that's an amazing creation. Yes. Uh, it sounds silly on paper until you get to Gorilla City. And uh, he's Gorilla. one of my favorite villains. He's one of my favorite DC villains, to be quite honest. I love Gorilla Grodd. It's like the Godfather it's with gorillas. Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, obviously there's a bit of fanfare for me going into it, but, um, you know, the comic book film suffering, I, I was happy to see. I mean, there's a part of me kind of like with Ghostbusters Afterlife. The Afterlife was excited to see Michael Keaton uh, again in the Batsuit. Uh, I got more of that than I anticipated. Way more of that in this film than I anticipated. I thought he was just going to be in like for a couple scenes, you know. Got a lot of him in here. Well, his stunt double, but I got a lot of him in here. And he's an older man nowadays. And I really... I don't know. I don't know if you want me to talk about the movie proper or not, but I mean, I understand why people don't like this movie. Um, but I think it's as good as any comic book film of the last 10 years. Okay. 
Well, before we do a deep dive on that comment alone, because I have a lot of questions for you then. <laughs> uh, Brad, just same thing. There, there's a lot of stuff circulating around this thing before it gets released. Did, did you see it theatrically when it came out? Uh, I did not. I, okay. I wanted to, um, but I just did not get around to do it. Um, it takes me a little bit of extra effort to go to the theater with younger kids and, you know, making sure that, you know, it, the time works and, and all that stuff. And it just didn't, um, I really was wanting to go and it wasn't because of the flash. It was because Michael Keaton was back as Batman because Batman 1989 was the first, if it was one of, if not the first films I saw in the theater. So, you know, it, that nostalgia is there for me. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted to hold it against Ezra Miller to like not give the theater my $20. But when I get to think about it, it's like in a film like this, that has a whatever $220 million budget, thousands of people work on it. Uh, So to, to kind of hold everyone accountable for the stars behavior is, is unfair. Um, But I, I did, pre-order it when it was, you know, released on physical and, and, and all that. So I did, you know, buy it as soon as I could, because I did want to watch it and I watched it at my house and, uh, we'll get into my thoughts, but yeah, I just did not make the extra effort that it was going to take for the summertime to go see this. So, um, I didn't. Yeah. I, I will say the news behind the scenes probably got me excited to see it because I did see it in the theater, not opening weekend. But there was so much going on with it in that you have a transition of leadership at Warner Brothers. They're making some big decisions, shuffling things around, what's going to be in the future universe, what's not. And um, you hear all these stories about uh, what go, you know, what went down, what was going right, what was going wrong, test screenings. I mean, we follow all of, all of the news clips and things that come around. And the fact Michael Keaton's coming back, I was kind of excited for it, but I was really wondering, like, what are they going to do with that? And I, I know Sammy's familiar with the Flashpoint um, story. DC actually did a really good animated uh, movie of it that everybody should check out. So I knew it wasn't going to play exactly like the comic series or even that animated film, because I, I think in the Flashpoint, it's not Bruce Wayne that's alive, but it's his father. Um, so the fact that to bring Michael Keaton back and, and kind of tweaking that flashpoint story arc, I was, I was really curious with what they were going to do with it, but let, let's get into our thoughts on the film. And and I'll say this, all, all of that drama, it, it probably had the opposite effect to me where I was like, yes, I want to see what is going to come out of all of this drama because you're either going to get a cult classic and something that isn't just going to sit with everybody because of all these creative differences. But I think sometimes that whirlwind of chaos can produce some interesting things or you're just going to get something like battlefield earth, which could be so bad. It's kind of fun. Yeah, you could get a car crash. You could get a car and car crashes are, are sometimes fun to watch. Yep. So Sammy, you said the flash is as good. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing. I am laughing a little bit. It's as good as some of the best superhero films to come out in the last decade. I, I would really like you to quantify that comment. <laughs> uh, it's very easy. Uh, the character is very likable. He has a very easy 
motivation to get behind in helping his father and his love of his parents and his mother, same as Batman in some ways. Um, I think his rogues gallery is great. You don't get to see any of it here. And I don't know if we've ever really gotten to see any of it. I'd love to have Grodd in one of these movies. I think his powers are interesting. I think, uh, for all intents and purposes, they're probably some of the most interesting powers of any superhero, uh, because of what they can do. And honestly, I think this film packed as much emotion for me as maybe, uh, well, the Guardians 3 film was pretty good. It has good emotion in it, too, but it was a bit more manipulative in some ways, too, playing with animals and whatnot. Got a little got a little bit on my sweet, sensitive side there. But, I, I, yeah, I think this I think this movie, for me, it works. It's a very simple setup. It's a hero's journey. He wants to help his, his mom. He wants to help his dad. Um, he tries to do everything he can. Where the movie, I think, falters is in the time travel aspects, but I think most movies outside of back to the future kind of get that messed up. I think that's probably still the best version of time travel in a film, especially in a big budget film. There's been some low budget ones that kind of do it quite well, but some big budget ones that I, I can't really think of a lot of big budget ones that do it very well. Maybe the original time machine from way back when. So I think that's a bit clunky, but all the things that people don't like about this film, I like, uh, people don't like the dodgy effects. I think they work great. I think they're fine. You think the dodgy effects are fine? What, what like fine. what? Why are they well, fine? I, do you, well, do you, I mean, do you, well, you I, like your people made out of looking like they were made out of plastic. Yeah, because <laughs> I grew up in an era where people were made out of plastic for special effects, so it doesn't bother me. I think people put too much. I think you put too much onus on special effects. I think special effects are not that big a deal. I think that's all up here. I if you if you're looking at special effects and they got to look good, then you must be the guy that's got to go by the Corvette too. No, I, I, I don't think you, I don't think you need that for a good story. I don't think you need that. I, I don't, I don't think you need to either, but if the special effects become very noticeable and they take you out of it because you're recognizing the quality of something, it's like anything in a film, right? When you start to recognize, uh, I, I disagree. Psycho Gorman, the special effects take you yeah. out of the film the whole way. You're looking at a goofball special effect movie. I, I think but those are, love, but you love it though. Don't you? I, I do, but I think those because are two different you, things. No, because you buy it. Uh, that's All what, you got to do is buy it. That's what I'm trying to say. Is if, but I, what I'm trying to say is the opposite. Money doesn't buy your love of a special effect. I'm not saying money buys the love of a special effect. What I'm trying to say is if you are invested in the story, if you're invested I, in the tone of the film, then you over I, you overlook all of those things and you don't get caught up in the quality of something outside of you understand what it represents and you just go with it. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that from the first time flash runs, the effects are established and they never change. They maintain the same level all the way through. They never get better. They never get worse. That, That's that is fair. <laughs> that is a fair that, statement. That, that is the motif. So that my friends is called a choice. At some point, somebody comes along and they make that choice because they could have thrown more money at this. It's not like Warner brothers doesn't have money. They could have thrown more money at it. They probably thought it was a sinking chip. I mean, they canceled things. Ezra Miller's off the deep end and everything else, but they could have thrown money at it and juiced up the special effects. They could have done sure. that. Sure. Sure. But I don't think it needs it. I think the story's good enough the way it is. Okay. All I cared about in the end was Barry trying to figure out 
how to help his mom and dad. And for me, that works. And not only that, it's very important, I think, that they bring Batman into that because that's his whole purpose. His whole purpose is his mom and dad. We've been beating over the head with it for 30 years. Another another orphan years. thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So I think that, that that's a good reason to have him in there. Supergirl thing was a bit of an odd choice, but I actually like the Supergirl character. The one thing that I don't like in this film is there's not really a bad guy. Zod is there. Obviously, these are remnants of the beholden nature of comic book films. Mm -hmm. Michael Shannon's fine as Zod. I like Man of Steel. I think it's a very solid film, actually. Um, but, you know, he's not really given anything here. He's given like, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's not given a lot here. It, I mean, he's barely. It does feel like a glorified cameo. Yeah, to, it really does. Yeah, it really does. Especially the way they introduce him and there's a lot of weight. And you think he's going to be around a lot and everything else, but then they go to him and then they go away from him and then they come back. There's a huge battle, uh, but it's not really that huge a battle because there's only so many people. It's a very weird choice, but I like, I like the decisions. I also like the fact that, you know, he gives these powers to another character only to try to teach the character to use those powers correctly. In other words, Barry actually matures in front of us. Whereas a lot of the times that doesn't happen. We have to kind of mature the character ourselves. He's actually maturing in front of us in real time, which I think is a really nice touch. Okay. But so, yeah, I think, I think this film works. I think it's, it's a pure comic book film through and through. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I mean, shit, I haven't seen a great comic book film since I can't remember when it's been a while. Iron Man three, maybe. Wow. You're really going back. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of, I mean, a lot of this stuff's just a bunch of sausage. I, I, I guess that is something to kind of level set. So a couple of things, you're DC over Marvel, right? Which isn't a big deal to kind of affect maybe a movie quality, but you have something invested in the Flash character. Yeah, I, I, think DC, I think DC picks more interesting directors. Okay. And then... I think the films are more like films. I don't think, I think Marvel, everything looks like. It just, it's like a big TV show. Okay. No, no, that's fair. I and and I get what you're saying about the effects too. That at some point it becomes a choice. You can say that from start to finish, they did commit to a very specific look, and it mm -hmm. does not change. For no. for better or worse, you get what you're getting from the beginning of the film to the end. No, and never yeah, and, and and I have to believe that's a choice. I mean, I really do. I have to believe that. Okay. Well. I mean, Muschietti has actually said that it that some of it was a choice. Now, you can say that you know Andy might be smoking a little bit of the it paper, okay. but you know, I I do believe it's a choice. I don't believe anybody would uh, not say we can tighten these up, especially in this day and age. Especially in this day and age, you know, you would you would think that, but if you think about the quality, and and this is this is a topic that has recently come up in 2023. If you think of the quality of special effects in a lot of films, there seems to be a narrative that just says what's going on. Brad talked about Godzilla minus one, fifteen million dollar budget. Is that what you said, Brad? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you haven't seen it yet, right, Sammy? I haven't seen it yet. No. Okay, but the special effects are pretty spectacular at fifteen million, right? And they made a choice in that one to like still make Godzilla move sort of like a man in a rubber suit, but look not as well. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but 
there seems to be this narrative with a lot of special effects that have come out, which then you hear these stories about the special effects houses working all these like ridiculous hours on short staffed and now they're starting to unionize. So there's a lot of finger pointing back and forth over the special effect quality that's being done in Hollywood, how sometimes it's kind of um, farmed out to other countries um, for poor quality. So yeah, I, I get it. I totally get it that you would say that, Hey, anybody can tighten up special effects, but something's going on because the quality of special effects that have come out, I think for some of these big budget films have been a little questionable. If you do some, sure. yeah, if you do some digging, some people will come back and say, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that people aren't talking about. Well, I mean, there's a heavy reliance on CG, maybe mm -hmm. too heavy on CG now. I mean, it's, it's been there for a while now, but it's, it's, it's way too heavy. And there's this idea that, you know, it, it helps broaden the visuals and stuff like that. It can, and there's no doubt about it in the yeah. right hands, but when it's the main motif of most of your action, you really, you really are going to draw a lot of attention to it. And some people are not going to like it, but I got to say some of my favorite movies of all time, they do not have great special effects. That's a good point. It's true. <laughs> Don't I'm just going to say that. I'm yeah. just going to say it flat out. They, they do not have great special effects. I, I would agree. And I would say that the, there's other elements in the film that counterbalances that quality issue, right? Because you haven't, you have an investment in something that's going on. Yeah. And for me, it was, you know, Barry's journey as a character. I, again, I don't like Ezra Miller uh, much as an actor. He's not really my type, but he made me buy him as this neurotic worry wart who thinks he's figured out the solution to the universe. Okay. And the arrogance of that. And I think the film comes full circle with him maturing and understanding. All right. Hey, those are all, <laughs> when I asked you to quantify it, that was good quantification. I'll give you that. Good quantification. If there is one special effect scene in here though, that is a little wonky that really drives me crazy, man, they really messed up on the Henry Cavill, uh, cgi thing he, i think he had like a nine pack or some kind of weird thing going on with his abs uh yeah henry cavill and nicholas cage looked um unhealthy let's just say that yeah, that was a weird that was a weird choice the christopher reeve the nick cage stuff yeah. weird choice but i have to believe that's just an inside joke one's <laughs> an honor perhaps the other one is clearly an inside joke sure all right brad i have no idea what you think of this film so where where did you land on this? So this one I have like a weird complicated relationship with because there are parts of this movie that I, I do enjoy. I am getting to the point where I feel like I am getting the nostalgia for stuff just absolutely fucked out of me. <laughs> what sideways? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I, look, I I love stuff that I from when I was a kid and growing up and. This this film is the Harold Ramis at the end of Ghostbusters Afterlife showing up and making me cry. But then when I get home and think about it, that scene had absolutely like was not earned or anything and was just solely there for you to feel something because the film really didn't make me feel much. And it was cheap. And I think for all the stuff that I like in this movie, 
it's the stuff where we're going back and we're showing, hey, remember Henry Cavill? And hey, the giant spider was supposed to be the villain in the third act of the Nicolas Cage Superman film. So now we're going to show Nicolas Cage fighting the giant spider. And then we're going to show the really old black and white flash. And we're going to do all this stuff. And none of it really matter. Like I get the timeline stuff and I get all that stuff, but they're just showing stuff to show it. It is for every nerd who's with another nerd who they can <laughs> nudge in the, in the ribs next to him and be like, huh? Huh? Did you see that? Did you see that? That's all it is for. But Sammy didn't have anybody to nudge when he went to see it at the movie. There's nobody there. Well, he was probably still thinking about it in his head. Like, eh? Oh, eh? Uh, I, I, was, I was nudging. I was yeah. nudging. Okay. Hand was in my pocket, nudging. So, but all that being said, uh, the fact that, like, I, I am starting just to hate nostalgia because it just seems like every film is, like, playing on your nostalgia now. I did like certain parts of this movie. I thought... Ezra Miller was funny. Um, I thought the premise of the, of the, the, the move, the going back in, in time and finding yourself. And of course, like it breaks the back to the future sort of logic that you're not supposed to really interact with yourself, but this one changes that. And then I, I just, I don't, but in like a classic storytelling sense, you're supposed to have a protagonist and an antagonist. I have no idea who the antagonist of this film is supposed to be. Like it's odd for a little bit. And then it's like reverse flash for the last little bit. Is that reverse flash? Uh, no, that's it's just not. No, but, uh, the antagonist is Barry himself. Well, both, both, uh, metaphorically okay. and literally. Okay. Yeah. Well, but the, okay. Anyway, so it's anyway. a weird, it's, it's a, it's a weird choice. It not is a weird slide. choice. It weird is choice a weird for a choice. comic book film. Weird, weird choice. But I, I mean, I not to say that I didn't have fun with this as someone who was not invested in the Flash and someone who appreciates Marvel comics more than DC comics outside of Super or Batman. Um, I have always been on the Marvel side, um, but I did like the way they told the story, and I felt somewhat invested in Barry and his relationship with his mom and wanting to bring uh, back his mom and keep his dad out of prison. It's just so heavy handed with, Hey, we're going to use Batman because remember Batman's parents were killed and he's an orphan and blah, blah, blah. I just felt like <clears throat> everything was, is, was sort of, there was no subtlety with the film at all. You, you know, you don't trust, you don't trust your audience even with your story, because you're having to show all these other characters to just be like, Hey, remember this person? Isn't that random that we're going back here? And it's just like every, along every road that I was on with this, like there's a detour that wants me to get off uh, and not like it. And it took me a little while to get back on that liking this film. Um, but I think at the end of the day, with all the problems that I had, I did, sort of enjoy it. I think the two hours and 24 minutes does move at a nice pace. Um, I thought the George Clooney stuff was kind of really dumb. 
Um, and I know that was like a revision upon a revision upon a revision. And they really didn't know what to do there. Um, oh, the uh, the final end joke is what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, I just, uh, I wanted to like this thing a lot more, but I just had, pro- I, I, Sammy, I respect you and I, and I love you as a person, but goddamn, the CGI is the most atrocious thing. I've I, ever I was seen. just going to ask you to comment it on is that. So bad. So it's, it's so I, bad. Like, look, but, but listen it, to Sammy. I, I do, I do want to back Sammy here, but listen to his uh, logic about the CGI. Does that make sense to you? Kind of, but I can look at a piece of art and say, that looks terrible. I don't like it because it looks really bad. Yeah. Yeah, you can. And, and that's kind of what I look here. You know, I, I, I look, we just watched Thanksgiving. There was a Turkey that was basically a puppet with someone's hand in there moving his beak around. Yeah. Which was amazing. I was totally fine with that because that's kind of what they're going for. When you get into a $220 million film, you're talking about, Hey, we're, we're doing, we're spending millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to put together these shots. And you could just tell that whoever is doing this stuff doesn't know how light interacts with objects. Like things just look, totally weird and if it's a choice it's a bad choice (laughs) and it's a choice that just doesn't sit well with me i i i even think like sometimes when barry is talking to barry it is clearly a head replacement situation where things don't really look right i i can't tell you what's wrong with it but i can tell you that one person clearly was had a different head and they changed that head in post-production and it just looks off and the Henry Cavett, the Henry Cavill thing, whatever that is, is the most atrocious special effect I have ever seen in my entire life. Now, that one is pretty bad. Even I'll agree with that one. Is a bizarre. Is like a bizarre Superman. Nicolas Cage doesn't look like. <laughs> I mean, it, it clearly is like. But didn't I, they film Nicolas Cage? Like it, they, they did. Like they did, and he's caught on to say like that's not what I did. So they clearly right. didn't use that. Um, I don't know. I just think that the, the, the stuff in the time, whatever the chrono bowl or whatever is so bad. It's, it's so, and if it's a choice, it's a choice, but like, I can look at something and say, I don't like it because it looks bad and it it looks bad. Yeah. Okay. I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that the problem with the chrono dome bowl, whatever the hell that thing is, I think the problem with that is. I think they went for a look in this rubbery thing because everything's constantly kind of moving, shifting. Yeah, and, and I don't think uh, I don't think uh, it, it. If there's any special effects in the movie, if there's anything that ever kind of bothers me about the film in that way, it's it's th- those moments. Does it does it feel like uh, this is probably a terrible analogy, but they bit off more than they can chew with that ideal or concept, meaning in a comic book format. Because they're going for this sort of hourglass sands of time kind of running out with all of these shifting different other worlds. And then even in the climactic showdown, you get all these different colors of other worlds kind of smashing in on each other. There's so much going in within that visual effect composition. It almost feels like there's too much going on. Like there's a lot of stuff 
and it's it's hard to watch to be quite honest and find out what's going on even from like a composition geography standpoint like who's where what's happening sort of thing but i but i almost feel like it's so busy that and it's got all these colors etc um it 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 prevents you from focusing on what you should be focusing on mm. i don't know i didn't have any trouble. what are you supposed to be focusing on? like are we supposed to like i don't know like are the you the fact are, that they like brought back christopher reeves and you're supposed to be like oh it's christopher reeves i i think you're supposed Just to kind of be shame, fucking shameful well shameful i think from an idea perspective it's about what they're at the center of this sands of time, the speed force and how things are morphing or changing all around them from a timeline. And then, you know, take these other worlds that are crashing into it. You no, know, I get, I get all that, but what, but, what are the, what are the people comprising that shot want you to look at? That That's my problem is like, I don't know. Like I agree with you hundred percent. It's like where uh, I think they just want you to get swept up in nostalgia. I think it's all they want. Okay. I think that's what they're literally fucking your face with nostalgia. (laughs) Literally, they are. Uh, If I have problems with this film, it's really more towards the back end than it is toward the front end, obviously, because obviously there is some complaints and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this because I mentioned it about a million other films. There are some other problems I have and that it does in some ways feel like a bridge film between what they wanted to do going forward and there's no real story, but I kind of like that. They kind of come back around a little bit and kind of finish off the story here. Um, the Batman thing at the end, uh, it is what it is, but I, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm not really a Batman Robin person anyway, so I, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I think, I guess it's kind of funny. I know it shocked my son because he really didn't have any clue. So I guess that worked for that, that effect. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know why they decided to just kind of bring this up since we're talking about that thing in the end, why they decided to focus so much on the Superman and like, they didn't show like other DC moments like, uh, you know, uh, green lantern or Martian manhunter or cyborg or anybody. Oh, you, you got a little, what? 66 Batman in there too. And yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but a little Adam West. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt like it was very Superman heavy. Did it not feel Superman heavy to you guys? It did. Oh, yeah. You get the what Reeves, the George Reeves, Christopher Reeves. You get George Reeves, Christopher Reeves. You get uh, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. You get Henry Cavill. Yeah. No, you're right. It's pretty crazy. I mean, that's pretty much Fuck all. Fuck you, Brendan Ralph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brendan Ralph didn't get in there. At least I didn't see him in there. I looked. He might be. He's in. He's in the director's cut. Um, uh, yeah, maybe. Man, and they were just like, "Yeah, fuck you too, Dean Kane. You and your." Q-A-N-A. Oh yeah, Dean Kane. Don't forget about Dean Kane. Yeah. Yeah. I so here here's my take on it. Uh and I'm I'm gonna quote my son because I I think I saw it by myself in the theaters. Uh the family didn't want to go. And I think they were out they were out of town too. And I said, Hey, I want to go see a movie. Are you guys interested in the flash? They're like, Nope. I'm like, great, seeing it on my own. Son sat down to watch it with me. He's the only one. But here's his quote. After it's over, he goes, The highs are really high. The lows are really low. Like that's mm. that's his two sentence review on it. That's not bad. That's not a bad thought. And I, I couldn't agree more. Like when this thing hits it out of the ballpark, I think it's amazing. It I would I would agree with your comment, Sammy. Wow, that's that is some of the best stuff you're gonna see in a superhero film in the last decade, right? When it's low, man, it's thanks killing low. Thanks killing three low. 
Thanks killing three. Yeah. Correct yourself. Yes. Thanks killing three low. So <laughs> I'll get to the highs. Uh, the return of Michael Keaton. Once he's on screen for me, the film has real life. I, there's something about his presence. Um, the music, the Batman suit, the vehicles. I mean, Brad's already said this plenty of nostalgia just thrown at your face, but it works. And I think it works because of Michael Keaton. The best action sequence for me in this entire thing is Batman versus the Russian guards when they're trying to um, kind of jailbreak the uh, Supergirl character out. I, I think it's the best action sequence of the entire film. It's a little playful. Uh, the the choreography and how you know Batman uses his his bat weapons. It's a lot of fun. I found it a little herky jerky. Really? I I don't know. I just. It was kind of the action sequences I was hoping I would see more of, which is uh, the Flash and the Batman. And then even when Supergirl comes back and is like throwing people around, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in for this. I really like that. Uh, the meeting the mom in the grocery store at the end of the film. This was an emotional gut punch. So <laughs> that sequence is so good. Ezra Miller is so good in it. Uh, my eyeballs sweat a little bit how good it is. It shows up at like after two hours and what, 10 minutes of the film, you get that sequence and it, and it kind of shows up in the follow, you know, the, the final 10 or 15 minutes of the film. It works. It doesn't feel rushed. I don't know where that emotional element was in the rest of the film. Like I felt like it, something like that needed to be somewhere else in the film and it wasn't there it wasn't there stupid question yeah how did the mom not recognize him i (laughs) well i mean it's still barry maybe i mean people run across my kids who haven't seen him for Troy. if i saw you yeah but you had different hair i would still say that's troy sour I don't know. It might be different hair. Still choice hour. I've run into tons of people um, who have seen my kids when they were six or seven. And now that they're 21 and 18, they don't recognize my kids. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I even. Troy, if it was your own kids, I think you might recognize them. I Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. I would hope so. Yeah. I don't know if it's a timeline thing that was never quite explained or what it was. Yeah, but but, uh, it, but it's a great example of I'm not thinking question, I'm not thinking about I'm not thinking about that question when I watch that scene. Ezra Miller is so good in that scene. Her reaction to Ezra Miller is so good in that scene. I'm not asking that question at all. I'm not worried about the stupid visual effects or anything of that nature. Yeah. There's some real emotional yeah. content in that scene. It's something that I don't think was there in any of the flashback sequences of him remembering his childhood. It wasn't necessarily there with him and Ron Livingston. Like there, there's just this connection in that last sequence that comes at the end of the film that I'm like, wow, I'm I'm a hundred percent sold into this, and I totally get the motivation, and I totally see that hurt, and I don't know if if it's just that Ezra Miller finally decided to bring it at that time period, and it was missing in the rest of the film, but that's that's a great example of when the highs are high. It's super high, and that whole sequence is fantastic. Um, and then the other thing that I kind of enjoyed, I, I enjoyed the big showdown against Zod's army. 
there's some great comic book action moments in there with, yeah. you know, it, it, it was kind of fun to watch. And you're seeing like um, these superhumans fighting against each other, the army getting in the way at times. Um, there, there's just, there's some great visuals in there. It's very comic booky. Uh, even how people are, uh, specifically Batman and Supergirl, they end up dying over and over and over again, and they keep going back in time to replay the sequence. I liked all of that. I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, and and again, an example of the highs when they're really high and they're working for me. Now the lows, I got to go through that list too. Okay, so I, the comedy I felt <laughs> was all over the place. Um, I I think it works. In some instances, Ezra Miller can be very funny, especially when he's, you know, um, going off of himself, I guess. But when it doesn't work, it's painful. And how many more lasso of truth jokes do we need in this DC universe? Mm. It, it's man, when that happens, it's just tired and, yeah. it, and it's not funny. Um, the Eric Stoltz back to the future joke. <laughs> the problem with referencing back to the future in a time travel movie that you're struggling with from a quality perspective or even being invested is you immediately want to stop watching that film and go watch back to the future. Um, and yeah, I think that should be a rule. Yeah. You should never reference something that is way better than what you're doing. Yeah. Or, and I, and I get what they're trying to say here. Like I get the whole point that Sammy made where in back to the future, the rule was don't interact with yourself, right? You'll, you'll mess things up. Here they're taking the Back to the Future premise and totally chucking it out, you know, the window and saying you're going to interact with everything. So I I get it, but as a reference joke in Eric Stoltz and it keeps coming up again and again and again. It and I this is a terrible comparison, but I'll go back to Thanks Killing, the John Benet Ramsey joke that shows up three or four times where you're like, are you are you kidding me? That's what the Back to the Future joke felt like in The Flash. Um, you guys have said it, this thing lacks a bad guy. So without a good bad guy, the stakes don't feel high enough. This whole Barry's fighting Barry. Come on, really? So it's with all of the spectacle of a $200 million uh, movie, you cannot get introspective or meta when it, it, in, in a very noisy film like this. It, it's yeah. just not going to work. It's a weird choice. It's yeah. a weird choice. I think they waste Sasha and Michael big time. Um, I like the Supergirl character in here for what you see, but it feels like a glorified cameo as much as Zod character feels like a glorified cameo. They introduce, you know, these people and they don't do anything with them for the most part, really nothing. They're just one note. Um, and <laughs> the effects are terrible. They are. And you can come back and say that that was a choice to make terrible visual effects. And I would say, well, that was a terrible decision, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, the hospital sequence, <laughs> I actually enjoy the end credit sequence with the dog falling and the things love going it. on behind it. Love it. I love that sequence of the hospital, but the actual hospital sequence of him getting candy, uh, candy bars, putting the babies in the microwave, all that other stuff. It just looked hokey. Like nope. it, it, it yeah. just, it was stupid. It was yeah. all just stupid. Um, and the other thing I didn't like was <laughs> Batman being tossed around on the freeway 
Like I get it, suspend physics, etc. But the uh-huh. visual effects on that one, Batman getting hit by cars and I don't know side, it had zero impact at all. It it really looked like a you know a very bad video game sequence. Yeah. Um, the speed force sequences we talked about this and and the whatever this globe or what terrible looking again it's a choice it's a terrible choice. The multi world glimpses are terrible. Nicholas Cage and Superman are terrible. Um, <laughs> I feel like it should have been an inventive use of the history of DC and entertainment, specifically Warner Brothers. But I, I kind of agree with Brad. It feels like a last-ditch effort to get the comic book nerds on board. And, and that's what a lot of this film is. So here's the thing. The, feel, the, the film itself feels desperate. It has this desperate quality to it. It is referencing everything in the kitchen sink from pop culture to other Warner Brothers DC properties in almost every scene. And it just lacks a cohesive structure to bring it all together into something that's kind of moving or thrilling. It, it really is a patchwork film. Um, and it doesn't have a real identity or focus. It tries with this Barry Allen flashpoint. I got to go bring you know my mom back from the dead. It tries to do that, and that that's at its core. But on top of that core is all of this reference to nostalgia and other things. And what's crazy to me is I love the Flash universe. I, I liked the CW show up to a certain point, but I love the Flash comics. And maybe it's me being um, a little too critical of this from a comic book perspective, but this feels like a Flash movie without much of a Flash universe. It's a Flash movie with everybody else's universe. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. It tries to borrow an element of Flashpoint um, and maybe some DNA from that story element. But this doesn't feel like a Flash movie. It just doesn't. That That's my biggest gripe of this thing. You no, have like he's cameoing in everyone else's movie. He's cameoing. And I, I think that's the problem. He cameos in everybody else's film. And so when he gets a standalone film, it feel, it just feels like a big cameo of everybody else saying, well, we let you cameo in ours. So now you have to repay the favor. And in repaying that favor for like the dozen of the movies that he cameoed in, he, the spotlight's off him. And it's all on the nostalgia and the stuff that's happening around him. And I think the flash gets lost in, in his own film, to be quite honest. I I just I want to love this thing. I do. I think there are some really fun elements to it. I don't think it's I don't think it's total garbage. It isn't. Um, but it goes back to I think Cameron's statement of you know the highs and the lows, and then the question becomes: Are there enough highs in this film to counteract the lows? And you can walk away and go, well, that kind of felt like if Canon had made a flash film in the eighties and had two hundred million dollars to spend, that's what they would come up with. Because that's yeah. what it feels like. It feels like a canon flash film. And that's awesome. It, that not, it, yeah, I was going to say, when you say <laughs> it like that, it's like, that sounds awesome. But I'm yeah, going to tell you this. Not all. all. See, but there's this misconception that every shitty canon film was a gold nugget of entertainment. That's not true. It's not true. Definitely, definitely yeah. not true. But yeah. this was definitely one of them. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I can go back and forth. Pick a day, and I would say... Not enough highs. Another day I would go, you know, I'll say this. The second time I watched it, I liked it a little bit more than the first time because I knew what I was getting into. Um, but, man, it it's still got some insufferable junk in it. It really does. Do you think 
in 10 years or so when it were separated from all this stuff because like water world when you watch it now yeah. less all the stuff all the noise around it is a much better film than i think people remember heaven's gate is also like that do you think the flash taking getting out getting away from all the noise that surrounded it is it looked upon as a better film in I've, 10 years i think it could be that's why i saved the whole production and development because usually when we talk production and development we do yeah. it at the front end right i wanted to do it kind of in conjunction with this because i think water world's a great example water world i guess when it comes out or at least from what i remember it everybody's like well that's just mad max on the water and it's a, another derivative and it's going to be total junk but as time has gone on i think water world has a better appreciation because it's gotten out of um, the year it was made, right? Maybe in 10 years, somebody will look at these terrible visual effects and go, oh, I totally get it. I totally get what the artistic um, vision was for the director and these 2,500 visual effects shots or how many were in there. And it totally works in the context of a certain type of comic book. Now, if if your comic book is like, well, just garbage, then maybe, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I have no idea. I can, I can tell you now it doesn't work in 2023. Hmm. It works a little bit. I think it does. I, I think it does. I think like cell shading and video games, I think it works. I, I don't know. I, like I said, I think there are aspects of it work. Like I said, there are some highs. I just don't think I just for a flash for a flash movie. It's not a very good flash movie. They just didn't have the, it feels like the filmmakers just didn't have the confidence in the story they were trying to tell it. I, I think so. Or they, I mean, it almost goes back to that visual effect that we were talking about with the chronosphere or whatever. Let's throw everything into this one shot and cram it all in there. And it's like, okay, what am I supposed to focus on then? What am I supposed to care about within that sequence? Um, what, what are my eyeballs supposed to pay attention to the most outside of just being dazzled by all of the colors and the sparkly crap on screen. I feel like yeah, this whole movie feel, is that. I feel that way of about 22 different Marvel films. I, and I don't disagree. I, I don't yeah. disagree with you hundred percent. Like I, I, I think but that's some of the ones people, some of the ones people push, they look just as bad to me. Yeah. I, hey, I, the thing about superhero films, it's like comic book reading in general. Brad and I have this discussion all the time. We'll, we'll talk about comic books. I'm like, well, this series is hot garbage. And he's like, oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, but, we'll talk about art style and I'll gravitate to something um, that he hates and vice versa. But I will say this, uh, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong. We may disagree on art styles and, and certain things, but when it comes to key stories, we, we tend to kind of recognize the quality of some of that and gravitate to that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, that goes back to your, to your earlier comment, Sammy, your art style, your graphics, they can be total shit, right? But if story's really good, if you get, if you are just really invested, where the movie gets you hooked in some way on those characters and where they're going to end up, you're you're totally vested. <clears throat> Maybe my problem is I know how this thing plays out because I'm so vested or no flashback. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. And and maybe, maybe when I look at this and go, well, if I know how it's all going to play out, and Barry's mom can't live, and he's got to go and correct all these things, then how good is the ride if I already know where the destination is? I just don't mm -hmm. think the ride's very, I think the ride's mediocre, I guess is a better way to say it. That's totally fair. I agree. But 
I think the ride is pretty solid, if flawed. It's okay to be wrong every once in a while, see? <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. I agree. I agree. Sometimes you are wrong. I love it. I love it. See, I like I like the discussions where we don't agree. Those are my favorite. But I mean, the, the truth is, is, is you know, it, this is this is healthy though. This is what you know. For me, this is what I need in comic book films. Um, and for some folks that are like me, they're going to say the same thing. I know there's been some folks on Facebook who've agreed with me, and then there's been the ad- adverse of that. And honestly, I think this is that kind of comic book film. It's yeah. very divisive. Yeah, and uh, I think it goes to the behind the scenes stories, but it also goes to just the DC versus Marvel thing and everything like that. I just I think it's for me it's just it's well made. I think uh, Miskieri is an interesting filmmaker uh, visually, and uh, I don't know this stands out for me. This just stands out. Might be ugly, but it stands out. Well, I, but I love hearing that. Like I ha- I love having this dialogue because I would love to revisit it again. And and this this is what I like about us talking films. I kind of take the commentary, go back and watch it, and go. Well, let me look at. Let me borrow Sammy's perception for a second and watch this thing. And and can I can I put myself in that position where I will see those things? I mean that that's why I like these conversations because I I will come to a different opinion on some films. Yep. Yeah. Well, I got I got you. Yeah. Well, do you guys have anything else on the Flash from twenty twenty three? that's all pretty much all i had okay well i think i know where sammy's gonna lie so this is the final verdict i'm i'm really curious how this is gonna play out so sammy 2023 is the flash it bombed theatrically critics were eh on it seems like the audience likes it a little bit more but for you is the film a bomb no it is not it's a solid superhero film okay solid man solid it's it's uh actually I'm kind of surprised at how long it is and how well it plays for that length. I'm not really happy about that length when I see it pop up. This all sounds very perverted, but, but you didn't feel it, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I never, I never really, you know, it, it's pretty exciting. There's a few lulls here and there, no doubt, but I think it moves along pretty good. Okay. Well, Brad, questions over to you. Where are you gonna land on this? I was completely surprised with my verdict of this but i am gonna say it's not a bomb wow okay i i expected to honestly kind of hate this movie but i i I enjoyed it i would call it like a 6.5 out of 10 but yeah yeah I, (laughs) i don't know i i don't know how i feel on this um i'm i'm going to say you gotta make a decision all right well for today i'll say it's a bomb marginal it can i i got a feeling this might be a grower though this could be one of those that over time i like it a little bit more i find more of the highs right now there's too many lows and um yeah but i'll say this it's not a terrible film like what i would i watch it again absolutely i'll watch it again yeah. but to me it's it's still just not a great film and i think it's an almost good film like my my quote on the box art, the flash is almost good. There you go. And right below it says Sammy says, Don't pay attention to Troy. Exactly. And then Brad's like, Yeah, Sammy's Brad's right. like, Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I'm not gonna die on either of those hills. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably it's probably the probably the even keeled version. Brad's the even killed one this week. 
True. Yeah. True. Um, we have some feedback. You want me to read that, Brad? Yes, sir. All right. First one's from John. As usual, another amazing episode, guys. There's nothing I like more than a Sam Raimi flick. I don't think the man is capable of making a bad film. And as an added bonus, starring one of my all-time favorite actors, Billy Bob Thornton. I got a suggestion for a future episode. Keith Gordon's Christmas War film, A Midnight Clear. I just picked up the Blu-ray, and it's a wonderful film. His whole filmography is worth exploring for that matter. Have you guys seen this film? What's, what is it called again? A Isn't Midnight that's Clear. That's a movie about the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Is it good? I've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's good. Solid. Ethan Hawke, right? Ethan Hawke? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he's recommending it. We're going to have to put it on the list then. All right. Okay. Uh, oh, boy. This one's from Alex. <laughs> he's uh, already to weigh in on The Flash, and we haven't even published this episode. Okay. You ready? Wow, real time. Here yeah, real time. Alex says, I'm watching The Flash to prepare for the next episode. I really don't know where you guys are going to land on it, but I can't find a redeeming factor about it. The CGI is uneven at best. The dialogue is nonsense. And Teen Barry's laugh is extremely grating. It's overlong. Oh, yeah. I, okay, I, I'm going to agree with that. The laugh is a, is a bit much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I do not like the laugh. <laughs> Whatever it is, I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. Uh, it's overlong, overstuffed, and overly sentimental in the wrong ways. I feel bad for Michael Keaton and Sasha Kali. They deserve better than this. Maybe the score is all right, but it's not memorable in any way. Ezra Miller's issues notwithstanding, this is an absolute bomb, and it still made more money than it deserved. This is the pizza by Alfredo of comic book movies. Ouch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I, I don't totally agree with Alex. I, but okay. I, get I can it. see it. I, I can see, see it. it. I see it. Totally see it. Um, and it, it's crazy. I, I think you're right, Brad, because even these comments, everybody's got to preface the, you know, take out Ezra Miller's antics. And here's what I think about it. So maybe 10 years from now, you can get a sort of a fair shake. Uh, I got one more. It's from Kevin. So, Real quick, he shared some great international posters of the 1990s narrow margin with us on social media. Ooh. And the reason why he's doing so, <clears throat> excuse me, is he has a uh, film blog that uh, he has out there. And so he wrote um, back in November his review of 1990s narrow margin. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's um, for it's uh, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't even read my uh own writing. Sure, I, I will link it in the show. You will link it in the show, but yeah, for its man's number, blogspot.com. So uh, we'll link it in the show notes. You just got to go back to November 17th because it looks like he publishes things on a regular basis and uh, go read Kevin's thoughts on 1990s Narrow Margin. So it's a, it's actually a fun read. And the posters that uh, he's been using for the blog, they, they look fantastic. So Brad, if anybody wants to send us feedback um, tell us what big budget bombs they enjoyed from 2023. How did they get hold of us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com, or you can head over to not a bomb podcast, hit the contact us button, or you can message us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Sweet. Uh, Sammy, what's going on at the gentleman's guide? I, we just released a uh, beach of the war gods. Yes. Which we talked about, you got a uh, special guest on that too. Yeah, yeah. I had a special guest, Scott Burton, the guy that does our theme music. He's been a 
part of everybody's life as much as we have for a long time now. That was a great episode. It was yeah, awesome. It's fun, it's fun to have Scott on finally. And, uh, you know, he's got the rotating door like so many of our guests. Um, but the, yeah, that was a fun discussion. And then, uh, next week, as you hear this next week, we'll be putting out, uh, <laughs> Will wanted to go back to the trash bin, try to do something trashy. So we decided to do prey of the Jaguar from 1996, a superhero film that wow. nobody has probably seen. <laughs> is, is it better than the flash? Ooh, I don't know. You watch it and find out All right, Listen to the show. Um, Brad, is it my pick next week for bombs of 2023? Uh, well, technically this was supposed to be your pick, but oh, we yeah. switched some things around. So I honestly don't know what we're doing next week. So what are we doing? I, well, we'll just, we'll do my pick then since we alternated. Okay. So, uh, we're, <laughs> we're gonna, I guess, pick a director instead of a film. Right. Oh yes. Okay. So. This director had two bombs in 2023, and we're going to talk about one guy, Richie. Brad, what films are we talking about? Operation Fortune and then The Covenant. Yes. Jake Gyllenhaal. So you're getting a two-for-one this holiday season uh, because we thought it was kind of interesting. Guy Ritchie, two films, same year, didn't do so hot. So we thought we'd just visit both of them and knock two bombs. There's so many bombs to talk about. Um, we're trying to, we're trying to squeeze in as many as possible. <laughs> you guys aren't, you, you could do a whole year, I think. Oh yeah. We, we've got some in 2023 plans for early 2024. Yeah. Cause it's, once you start I talking was, about him, you're like, oh man, we got to talk about that. We got to, yeah, when, we when we were talking and I went back and looked and I was looking at the, the websites and everything else. I was like, wow, there's, there's at least 52 films here to talk about. <laughs> there is. There's so uh that's why we're squeezing two in <laughs> yeah understood understood well yeah. you gotta you know as a podcaster myself sometimes you gotta squeeze two in yeah it'll be fun i mean it'll give us a chance to talk about guy Ritchie. we've he's been on the show before obviously so um i think i think we're relative fans of him as a filmmaker and uh it'll be another chance to kind of talk about you know just 2023 in general i mean this uh this week we spent our time on big budget films and superhero films so we'll see what topic we'll bring up and and tackle for next week but uh hey on top of listening to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema as well as us brad what else should they be listening to or paying attention to yeah that's watch skip plus the vhs files night of the living podcast backlook cinema podcast the mixtape podcast and raiders of the podcast yes and you should head over to youtube and our good friend john has a cool little channel now for something a little bit different, go subscribe to that, hit the like button, share him some love. It's a great little, um, video show. Um, he's, he, he does a little bit of everything. Um, obviously hence the title, but, uh, I like the fact that he's all over the, you know, not just movies, et cetera. He's, he's going to talk about just entertainment. So it's a lot of fun. And then go check out Kevin's, um, blog that we will have links to in the show. Uh, what else, Brad, what are we missing? Anything else? no not really okay well thanks for enduring this scratchy voice that's just about ready to give out and uh folks i don't know if you're listening in the morning the afternoon or evening for downloading the show thanks for just participating in general i mean we love all the social media stuff we love all your messages we want to hear your thoughts on the flash and then uh you know come back next week for a double feature of guy guy Ritchie. so we'll see you then don't lose your head later <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.